0: I may as well tell you, Mr. Bagthorpe sounded pleased despite himself, that I have, despite having you go round me in circles all morning with that wand, done some work. Quite a lot, in fact. Oh, good. I'm really glad. I've done some of the best work I've ever done, and all my thoughts are in that recorder somewhere in this grass, and that's why it's got to be found, said Mr. Oh. Bagthorpe. It's my last link with sanity. you last. In the end, it was Jack who spotted it. "'There!' he cried, and pointed. "'Keep that dog back!' ordered Mr. Bagthorpe. He advanced, and picked up the recorder. He stood there, looking at it, and all at once Jack could see something was wrong. He watched, for a long time, as his father stared down. "'Oedipus had it made,' said Mr. Bagthorpe, dully at last.' Lear was a lucky man. Don't tell me Hamlet had problems. All the spirit seemed to have gone out of him. He began to lurch away in the direction of the house. Jack and Zero followed at a distance. Mr. Bagthorpe did not emerge from his study till the evening. He said later that he had not trusted himself. What had evidently happened was that someone, somehow, had pressed the wrong buttons on the recorder and— great thoughts do not erase, had, irrevocably, been erased. Uh. It was clear that he laid the blame for this at the feet of Jack and Zero. Jack, while sorry it had happened, was not so sure that they were at fault. Mr. Bagthorpe was notorious for breaking anything mechanical, and had probably already pressed the wrong buttons when Jack fell on top of him. He had probably been pressing wrong buttons all morning, and his great thoughts do not erase had not even been recorded in the first place a man who can break a toaster a record player and a waste disposal in a single week mr bagthorpe's all-time record so far is obviously the kind of man who presses wrong knobs (laughs) mr bagthorpe's brooding presence behind the closed door of the study cast something of a blight over the rest of the household and jack wished he did not have to do what he still had to do Which would upset everybody still more. But he had a plan of campaign, and he had to stick to it. In the afternoon, Rosie said that she wanted to do Jack's portrait. She received so much praise for grandmas that she was greedy for more. She suggested that the burned-out dining room would be a good background for this portrait, too, because it would throw Zero's honey coat into relief. Jack agreed. He squatted on the blackened carpet, which was at least dry by now. At first things went well enough. <clears throat> no one else was there, and as the Bagthorpes tended only to say clever or sardonic things when there was an audience, conversation was normal enough. Jack suggested that Rosie should do a self-portrait for her own birthday the following week, and she was delighted by this idea. What I can do, she said, is do a birthday self-portrait every year as long as I live, and then I can hang them in rows, and it'll be really interesting. I bet nobody's ever done that before in the whole history of painting. Thank you, Jack. She was very happy, humming, as she mixed up her paints and making little remarks like, I think your face has got more interesting since you started having visions and things. It was a bit blank before. (laughs) It was this particular remark that reminded Jack again of what he had to do before the day was out. He didn't want to do anything immediately because he didn't really want to make Rosie his victim if he could help it. He wondered who might be suitable. Grandma and Mr. Bagler were both out, and Atlanta, too, on the grounds that the language barrier would prevent her from understanding what a great brown bear was. (laughs) William was not a good prospect, because he would only sneer and not even bother to tell the rest of the family. He was still pondering when Tess came in. Seen Atlanta, she asked. Rosie and Jack shook their heads. Tess came up behind Rosie and started looking at Jack, and then back at the portrait, assessing the likeness. Quick as thought, Jack fixed his gaze on the blackened wall just behind Tess's left ear. He could not, of course, see what effect this was having, but he heard Tess whisper to Rosie. Look, look at him. Is that how he looks? Oh dear, Rosie jumped up. It is, it is. Another minute, and they would both be out of the room. I see, I see, Jack murmured, a giant bubble. I see red, I see white, and clouds. We've had this one before, he heard Tess whisper. He's having the same vision as yesterday. And I see, oh, it is the age of the bear, a great brown bear. There were two squeals in close succession, and Jack removed his gaze in time to catch sight of the rapidly retreating backs of Rosie and Tess. "'That's done,' he thought with satisfaction. "'That'll soon be round the house.' He was right. He had only just got up to inspect the portrait, which was, fortunately, practically finished, when Mrs. Bagthorpe entered. She came straight to him and put her hand on his forehead, more from force of habit than anything.' She removed it almost immediately. "'It is a hot day, of course,' she murmured. "'What's up, mother?' Jack inquired. "'Like my portrait?' "'It's wonderful, darling. A speaking likeness. But, oh, Jack, what do you mean? What kind of a great brown bear, and where?' The memory of how quickly the Lavender Man had materialized after Jack's prediction was clearly still with her. "'Bear?' he repeated. "'What bear?' "'Rosie and Tess are in a dreadful state,' she told him. "'Oh, have I had another vision?' asked Jack. "'I'm afraid you have, and this time you saw not only a giant bubble, but a great brown bear, apparently.' She sounded so worried that she would have undoubtedly written a letter to Stella Bright for advice, had the thing been feasible. Grandma was the next to arrive, and she wanted Jack to describe the bear, because she thought it might have been a vision of Thomas he had been having. (laughs) "'He wasn't brown, of course. He was the most beautiful auburn and gold,' she said. "'But anyone not very colour-conscious might think he was brown.' Jack got out of this by saying he had no clear memory of what he had seen. "'I just have this hazy impression,' he said, "'and it definitely wasn't the right shape for a cat.' Grandma didn't give up straight away, because she had already set her heart on a resurrection of Thomas. The whole of the rest of the day was given over to a thorough examination of Jack's latest vision and what its meaning might be. It was as thorough a Bagthorpian post-mortem as there had ever been.' The thing was looked at from every conceivable angle, and everyone had something to say. Grandma was sticking to her Thomas theory, even after Jack had told her that, vague as his impression was, he was now sure it did not have whiskers. William was taken up with the red-and-white aspect of it, and concocting elaborate theories to do with Yorkshire and Lancashire, despite the fact that none of the Bagthorpes had ever been anywhere near either of these counties. "'Tess came up with the idea "'that there was to be an imminent return to an ice age "'and that the red and white was people's blood on the snow "'once the great brown bear got going. "'The giant bubble,' she ingeniously explained, "'was an igloo. <laughs> "'Rosie stuck her fingers in her ears "'while Tess was talking like this. "'All in all, Mrs. Fosdyke was perhaps "'the most decisive in her reaction. "'The day a great brown bear walks in this house,' "'she said, "'I walk out.' You can call it Provisional Notice, if you like. Jack went to the trouble of recording this in his campaign book that night. We've got it in writing now, he thought.